Hey there, I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal or murder, join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the handle at 3 Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you. Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. How are you this week? I missed you. I'm happy to be back from our little vacation around the world together from last week and doing something incredibly atmospheric and creepy for you tonight. I've seen a few people actually post, not directly asking me, but posting in some of the groups that I see for my show, like Discord and um, Facebook, and talking about how they listen to the show. I personally recommend you listen to the show in headphones if you can, especially to episodes like tonight's episode where it's very, it's not music heavy at all. It's very atmosphere heavy, very sound effect heavy. I do a lot of stuff that's binaural, um, so that's just a little bit of advice for something I've seen people talking about. By the way, before we begin, I wanted to say my heart goes out to those of you who are going through the vaccine side effects. I am so happy you got to receive it, and I wish I could be there to make you tea and watch old movies with you. I know it can be rough for a few days. A few people in my family are finally getting to receive it, and they've been going through it, but just know that I'm over here rooting for you. Also, thank you so much to Claudia for the beautiful card. I went to check my P.O. box for a book I was sent, and I don't really usually receive any fan mail. That's not me fishing or anything, I promise. It's just the truth, and so I don't check my P.O. box very often because I check it a lot and it's usually empty, or I used to check it a lot and it was always empty, so now I just check it once every, like, two months. And I was so delighted to see your card. I was actually having a really, really bad day that day, and you turned it around with such a kind gesture. Again, thank you so much, Claudia. I loved all the stickers you used. I love pink and I love unicorns, so it was perfect. Okay, on to this week's story. This story comes to us from a new author to the show, Ricky Clegg, and I highly recommend, as always, go check those trigger warnings if you so choose in the show notes. And as always, they may contain spoilers, but, you know some weeks we just need a little heads up and that's okay anyway ricky clegg is the author of this of tonight's story the tunnel of lights i want to drink your blood happy halloween johnny I said slow down. I won't tell you again. <sighs> Your pops doesn't have as much energy as he used to. The boy's father shouted from behind. But Johnny would not slow down. Could not slow down. How could he? 
His pillowcase wasn't even a quarter of the way filled up with candy yet, and it was already nine o'clock. His dad only agreed to let him go trick-or-treating under the condition that they were back home, sipping hot apple cider, eating pumpkin pie, and watching Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin with his mother before ten. It was his father putting the time limit on him, and how annoying it was that it was also his father slowing him down like a weight shackled to a prisoner's ankle. There was no way Johnny was going to go home tonight without a pillowcase bulging at the seams with candy ready to burst open at any moment. Johnny knew the neighborhood very well. He and his friends had spent practically all their time biking it. They knew every inch, every hiding spot, every house, and most importantly, every shortcut. Ahead of him now was the cul-de-sac, the only one in the neighborhood, and one of only three total in town. He noticed only one house among the circle with its lights on. But that house belonged to the Smedleys, and they only ever have nerds to hand out. Plus, they had a dog, Simon, a fully grown Doberman pincher who always beat his owner to the door and seemed intent on killing and eating every child who rang his doorbell. (coughs) Trying to put Simon out of his mind, Johnny decided that he just might skip the Smedley house this year. With this decision, however, he realized with a hint of dread that the next closest house with any candy was an excruciatingly long walk in the opposite direction, and by the time they reached it, it would already be time to go home. But there was something that could help him. A shortcut. Although... He hated that he remembered. He could reach more houses much quicker if he cut through the woods. Those damn woods. So dark and strange. The only part of the neighborhood that neither him or his friends had ever explored. It wasn't just the haunted looking trees or the giant spider webs everywhere, seemingly entirely without spiders. Johnny couldn't figure out if that made it more or less terrifying. There was more keeping them away from the woods than just a childish fear of ghosts, the boogeyman, Slenderman, giant spiders, or what have you. It was this feeling. These woods just didn't feel right. All kids could feel it whenever they went near the edge of that forest. A feeling that... No... It was more than that. It was a certainty, somehow, that not just one of those evil things were in there, but all of them were in there, just waiting for some stupid, curious child to wander in there so they could snatch him up all at once. Johnny considered this for a moment. He thought about the possibility of a monster really being in the woods, And he thought about all the candy he would be missing out on. And if maybe the candy he had already acquired might be enough? No, he thought. No way. I won't strike out like I did last year. And with his ambition slipped in a small seed of doubt. Perhaps it was ridiculous to think that there could be such things as monsters haunting the woods... And wasn't he too old to believe in such things anyways? He was 11 years old already. 
practically a grown-up by now. So yes, he decided, he would cut through the woods, and he would at least double his current haul. And he wasn't going home until he did. He looked both ways across the street, as his parents taught him relentlessly, trotted quickly across the way, hesitated for only a moment, and finally walked carefully into the tree line. Johnny, get out of there! Get back here before I take us both home right now! Johnny could hear his father calling after him. He stopped for a moment to consider this. No, if I don't go through the forest now, I'm going home with only a quarter of a bag anyway. This is the only way to get more. And what was his father going to do? Take away his candy? You can take this candy out of my cold, stiff hands, Dad. A sly, defiant smirk took over his face with this thought. Plus, he could always claim to have not heard his father shouting. His friend, Jimmy, had put it best. It's always easier to get forgiveness than permission. Johnny concluded that he had no candy to lose and all the candy to gain. So, he pressed forward into the darkness. Johnny had been walking through the woods for what felt like an eternity, with no streetlights to light his way. The darkness of the night and creeping shadows of the trees slinked into his brain to warp his perception of the passage of time. Although he had made the executive decision that he wasn't afraid anymore, he of course still was, and he had come to realize that he had not thought this through as much as he had wished he had. He didn't bring a flashlight, even after the insistence by his mother, there was always a just-in-case coming from her, which he now regretted. Although, he did have his trusty pocket knife, a gift from his father on his most recent birthday, which he carried everywhere. Carrying a knife felt different from carrying a flashlight. A flashlight was, well, just a flashlight. It was just a light to have, just in case, for whatever reason you needed it, but it wasn't cool. A knife, although arguably is also a just-in-case type of tool, felt more than that. A knife was cool, and carrying one with you meant that you were cool too. All the other kids wanted to see it, play with it, inspect all the different tools inside of it, ask questions about them. It made Johnny feel respected. As little practical value this knife actually offered to a kid like Johnny, he still by far preferred it to a flashlight. He had to admit now, though, here, in the woods, at night, a flashlight sure did seem like the thing to have. He had been listening to his father scream angrily at him from 50 or so yards behind, and counting, for the entire night even before the forest, and as annoying as it was, he found it a safe comfort here, between the trees. It served as a reminder to his wild, imaginative, timid young mind that he had someone watching over him. Just in case some terrible ghost or ravenous beast decided that they would have him after all. But where had his father's voice 
gone off to? Johnny had only just noticed that the last time he heard his father's disgruntled barking was at least a few minutes ago, as opposed to the regular 30 or so second intervals they usually came in. He looked back, wondering if somehow he might be able to see his father in the black shroud of trees and bushes, that it was hopeless. A cat wouldn't be able to see even two feet ahead. It was too dark to navigate, and the only way Johnny knew he wasn't going in circles was because he made sure to never turn his body. But hadn't he just done exactly that in a panic search for his father? Johnny became more terrified than he had ever been in his short life. Panic overtook him as quickly as a hawk swooping to grab a mouse. He began breathing so quickly, in, out, in, out, as if he might never breathe again, and no amount of air seemed to be enough. His chest felt the immense pressure of an elephant sitting atop it, all while a vice grip tightened on the inside of his lungs. He sat, huddled in the dirt, hugging his knees close to his chest while every one of his childish muscles seized, as if trying to collapse in on themselves and explode outwards at the same time. He grabbed the dome of his head and began to squeeze as hard as he could. It was all he could do as he soaked the collar of his Green Lantern outfit in his own tears. Hey there, kid. What are you doing out here so late? A voice sounded out from behind him. Johnny stopped moving entirely, as the beautiful embrace of relief blessed his lungs and veins, moving through his body like a spoon through peanut butter. The man's voice sounded warm, soft, inviting. Johnny whipped around, tears still in his eyes, to look at the stranger who had rescued him. The first thing Johnny noticed was the green light. Strong vibrant, brilliant, somehow emanating from all around the stranger's body. He squinted with his puffy red eyes to see through the glow, and what he saw was, well, impossible. It was the Green Lantern, the very subject of his costume, Hal Jordan himself. It couldn't really be him, though, could it? It must have been someone in a costume. It was Halloween, after all. But a grown man, alone in the woods, in the same costume as Johnny? And how could you explain that magnificent, verdant gleam? Who are you? Johnny demanded. He didn't usually stutter, but in his current situation, he couldn't bring himself to question it. His voice was so unbelievably congested, it didn't sound anywhere close to his own voice. What? Don't you recognize me? Just take a look at your own costume. The stranger chuckled. He was smiling and seemed genuinely amused. But you're just a story, a cartoon. I thought you weren't real. Well, the stories have to come from somewhere, right? (laughs) Johnny thought about it for a minute. Couldn't ideas come from people's heads? 
People don't just make up something like me, the man said, as if reading Johnny's mind. Johnny supposed the idea of a spaceman wielding a green glowing ring of power that could make things out of ideas and had to be recharged from a battery was a weird thing to make up. But does that mean the rest of the superheroes are all real? Like Batman and Superman? Johnny asked, eyes wide as they were red. The Green Lantern smiled quickly turned into a frown, and his eyes lost their warmth and darted to the side, as if contemplating something or trying to remember an answer on a test. Just then, Johnny Johnny heard his father's voice calling his name once again. He sounded much farther away than before and in a completely different direction. Johnny yelled to his father as loudly as his small lungs could muster. Dad? Superman could hear that you were lost all the way from his fortress of solitude. So, he sent me to come find you, the lantern said. But the warmth in his voice was gone, as was the comforting sparkle in his eyes. And his mouth was not smiling. And what was that coming from his ears. Was that mucus? Come with me, and I can take you to meet Superman himself. Johnny wasn't sure what to think of this Green Lantern anymore. He was reluctant to say no to a real-life superhero, but he was suddenly sure that he had to get away from him. Um, thanks, but... I think I should be getting back to my dad. At this, the lantern's eyes became distant, as if looking through Johnny's body at something a thousand miles away. Johnny turned to walk away, but something long, slimy, and slithery had wrapped itself around his ankle and tugged, preventing him from stepping anywhere. Johnny looked down at his ankle to see what it was that had grabbed him, and when he saw it, panic quickly overtook him once again. It was a tentacle. It was spongy, wet, sticky, and an orangish-red color, like a rusted piece of metal. Paralysis struck him like a brick to the back of the head. He watched in horror as the tentacle continued to crawl up his leg, while another tentacle grabbed each of his other limbs and around his waist. He looked up at the lantern for some explanation, but what he saw was not something that he could put into words. The lantern was gone. In his place was an octopus, or something similar at least, Eight invasive, terrible tentacles wrapping themselves around Johnny's body, joined at the center by a spherical mass of blubber, the top of its head sagging slightly behind it like the extra fabric hangs off a beret. Blotches of color looked like dry paint on a canvas and crawled across its fleshy exterior like fish swimming blissfully in a tank of water. Its eyes were a sinister blood orange 
and almost seemed to utter a word as they stared into Johnny's. Perhaps the most disturbing facet of the whole image was centered between the octopus's eyes. It was the fading face of the lantern, continually sinking further into the octopus's skin, slowly but visibly losing its shape and texture like a candle melting in a pool of hot wax. Johnny finally managed to let out an enormous, piercing scream, begging for someone, anyone, to find him. Save him from the beast, which was surely going to swallow and eat him whole. But then he remembered. The knife. How could he have forgotten his father's knife? He reached for his pocket to grab it feeling the resistance of the serpentine tendrils along his forearm, but managing to push through it just enough to grab the metallic handle of it with his middle and pointer fingers. He pinched the knife between those fingers and, with all the focus he could muster, pulled the knife out of his pocket with childlike dramatics and rather pathetic strength. To his dismay, he let the knife slip between his fingers and onto the leaves beneath him. At the realization that he'd just lost his only fighting chance, his one ace in the hole, he became frantic, struggling tirelessly against the immense strength of the octopus. With an eighth and final tentacle, the octopus gripped Johnny's neck and wrapped around it tightly. It jerked his feet out from under him and lowered his head slowly towards its midsection, underneath its tentacles, to reveal its mouth, gaping wide open like the mouth of a cave, its pointed teeth like stalagmites bordering the inside, forming a spiral down its throat, an extended corridor of seemingly infinite dimensions. Johnny struggled like a fly, caught in a spider's web, watching helplessly as his freedom became a thing of the past. One of the octopus's tentacles slid over his mouth, clasping it shut and turning his screams into muffled, frustrated grunts. His head was steadily brought closer and closer into the octopus's mouth until it was entirely submerged inside of it. The octopus held him there for only a moment, savoring the feeling of holding the life of such a helpless, innocent little thing in its malevolent grasp. Then, all at once, its mouth cinched shut like a noose around the neck of a condemned man. Its teeth felt the tenderness of the boy's skin, followed by the brash concrete of his skull, and finally the squishy, spongy center. It felt like biting into a plum. The soft texture of the insides, juices exploding into your mouth and dripping on the ground with a muffled crunch. Johnny's movements came to a quick, sullen halt, and his body went limp. 
The octopus felt its eyes drooping slowly shut as a wave of satisfaction washed over its body. It relaxed its tendrils, letting them rest where they were, still wrapped around the boy. With his head still in its mouth, it began to liquefy his brain and slurp it slowly through the holes it had made in his head. It saw a messy haystack of Johnny's memories rushing through its mind with every gulp it took and savored each one. The juiced gray matter warmed its body like a cup of hot cocoa on a cold winter day. Where has that damn kid gone off to? Looking for leaves and wood chips to eat with his candy? Johnny's father, Jerry, thought to himself. I've been telling him to stay close all damn night and now he goes into the woods? I thought he just wanted candy. He stood at the edge of the forest, contemplating going in after his son. He shouted his son's name one last time, but after a solid ten seconds went by with no answer, he pulled a small handheld LED flashlight out of his pocket, clicked it on, and trudged slowly into the woods, trying to follow the occasional rustling of leaves or breaking twigs on the ground. Johnny had been light on his feet for as long as his father could remember, probably since his first step, which was not a trade he got from his father. Jerry grew up on a farm wearing work boots, milking cows, pulling crops, and occasionally even cutting the heads off a few chickens and having them for dinner that same evening. He walked with his boots everywhere, and his feet pointing outwards at more than 90 degrees. Light feet had not been something Jerry had ever known or needed to know about. Stomping through these woods now, twigs broke underneath his boots at least every few steps. Sometimes a broken stick would sound off when there didn't even seem to be a stick underneath either of his feet at that time. He was walking as quickly as his heavy bones and aging body would allow him, sweating profusely in the cold air, damping his clothes and causing him to let out a slight shiver every few seconds. He was not the type of man to let anyone know how cold he really was, even if no one was actually watching. He continued on, staying in a straight line as best he could, keeping his flashlight shown in front of him and calling out Johnny's name every now and then. When I find this kid, he thought to himself, when I finally find that little green snot, I'm taking away his candy and his knife. He's going straight to bed with no Charlie Brown special and not a single piece of candy. Not one. He allowed this train of thought to continue, thinking of all the things he could do to punish the little snot. How long would he withhold his candy? Should he maybe eat all the candy himself? Make him start doing his own laundry, perhaps? And isn't it about time he learned to do that himself anyway? He thought briefly about taking away the boy's computer. But it seemed like the only time he was ever quiet when he was in front of that damned machine. He went back and forth on all the possibilities for several minutes, Letting his mind wander so far from the present, he stopped calling his son's name and unknowingly tilted his direction of travel 
by about 50 degrees. After several more minutes passed, he finally snapped back to the current night in this wretched forest, searching for his little snot of a kid. He let out an annoyed sigh and felt his mood sink lower. He called the kid's name out again, but this time, something different happened. This time, Johnny yelled back. He had never heard his son scream before. The kid had a mouth on him, sure, and sometimes his little voice sounded exponentially larger than it really was, especially whenever his friends were staying over. But he had never even so much as yelled, let alone screamed like he just had. Jerry made no hesitation in picking up his feet and running as fast as he could toward the sound of Johnny's voice. Thoughts started moving through his mind at a thousand miles per hour. Was some animal attacking him? If he was, why weren't his screams more frantic? And what in these woods was bigger than a squirrel? Did he fall out of a tree? Was there a man after him? Jerry couldn't think as to what could be only bad enough to warrant just a single scream like this. But he continued, more alert than he had ever been. Just then, another scream had sounded out, much closer, but this time it sounded desperate, terrified, hysterical. Johnny was begging for help from his father. It must be someone in the woods trying to take him, Jerry thought to himself. He screamed back to Johnny, hoping he might scare off any kidnappers, and began to run even faster, bouncing his eyes with the beam of the flashlight, up, down, up, down, alternating quickly between the ground and the path ahead to make sure he doesn't collide with any branches sticking ajar. Jerry ran towards the screams for at least a minute, maybe two or three, when he noticed something out of the corner of his eye caused him to halt in his tracks. It was a glowing mound, erected in the dirt, twinkling like the northern lights. He couldn't make out just what it was. He was about twenty yards from it, but he knew it must have had something to do with what made his son scream. He started toward it, and as he drew closer, he could see that not only was the mound glowing, it was moving, inflating and deflating like a balloon. No, Jerry thought. The mound is breathing. He couldn't begin to think about what it might be. It was too big to be a bear, and there weren't bears in these woods to begin with. As he got closer, he noticed... A tail? Some type of lengthy appendage was extending from the back of its body. But there was more than just one. He clicked his flashlight off and reluctantly, cautiously, proceeded forward, doing his best to keep his footwork light. He observed that the breathing of this creature was slow, and it didn't seem to be facing his way. It doesn't know I'm here. It's probably asleep. He tiptoed closer and closer, with each step noticing another tail and another and another. He thought for a second that they might have been legs, but then a fifth, sixth, seventh. It was almost as if... But it it couldn't be that, 
couldn't possibly be an octopus. Not in the middle of the woods, or anywhere in Wyoming for that matter. For the time being, he decided he would roll with the possibility. Fine, it's an octopus. Out here, in the forest, miles from any body of water, and still alive. Not to mention changing colors like a mood ring. Jerry noticed the tentacles were wrapped around something. Perhaps a deer or a raccoon? He inched closer and closer, until he could make out what unfortunate prey had wandered into the octopus's grasp. And all at once, he realized what it was. It was his son. This terrible creature had his son's head in its mouth. The rest of his body was lying there, cold and limp, still wearing that stupid little Green Lantern outfit. Jerry let out a choked cry and put his free hand over his mouth. He felt his legs weaken and stumbling back a step, a stray twig sounded out from under the heel of his boot. Every last fiber of his being froze in fear and anticipation. He didn't know what the octopus might do if it woke up. If it could move fast enough on land to chase down a human, but he was suddenly certain somehow that if this breathing lump of luminescent blubber and tentacles became aware of his presence, he would never leave the darkness of this forest. And the lights dancing within the octopus's flesh would be the last lights to ever glaze his eyes. The octopus opened its eyes, revealing the awful color beneath its eyelids. Blood orange, like a ripe grapefruit, both bright and dark in pigment. It didn't turn its body to look for what made the sound. It didn't really move at all. But Jerry could somehow feel that it was not just staring at him, but staring into him, watching his mind, feeling his thoughts. He had no idea what to do. He was terrified, but also confused and almost humored. It sure as hell is a first, he thought to himself. It was holding his son's new corpse in its tentacles, with his head submerged in its mouth. But Jerry was still strangely amused at the situation. I'm standing here middle of the forest, looking at a giant octopus holding my child in its mouth, and maybe I'm next. He was annoyed at his amusement, but he just couldn't help himself. An octopus! A damned octopus! He sneaked another glance at his son, and anything humorous about the situation quickly died. He stood there, staring at his son, and letting his mind wander when, all at once, the whole scene disappeared. The octopus and its prey had simply vanished as quickly as the light fled from a room when you turned the switch off. Jerry stood there for a moment, trying to process what had just happened. Had he hallucinated the whole thing? Dreamt it? 
Was he still dreaming? He brought both his hands up to his face and rubbed his eyes. He hasn't done any drugs or even so much as smoked a cigarette since college. And he couldn't think of anyone in his family to be schizophrenic, but what could that have been if not some crazy hallucination? He let his hands fall from his eyes and opened them once again, hoping to see... Well, he didn't know what he was hoping to see. If it was a hallucination, it meant his son must still be alive somewhere in the woods. But it also meant he must be going crazy. If it was real, then Johnny really had been devoured by a giant, disappearing octopus. The only reason he didn't simply give in to the possibility that he was on some sort of trip was the gust of wind that rushed in behind him when the octopus vanished to fill the empty space it left in its departure. The only nibble of wind he had felt all night. He scanned the trees in front of him, his eyes following the path of his flashlight, the single candle to illuminate the void. The light bounced from tree to tree frantically, searching for an octopus, an eleven-year-old little snot, a deer, or anything, anything to tell him he wasn't crazy and that he wasn't alone. He had been bouncing the light between those trees so quickly he almost didn't notice the shape moving behind one of them. He bounced the light straight past it at first, then immediately back at it. Something was moving all right. But it wasn't an octopus. The octopus had been a ghastly sight, but at least it was something he recognized. What he saw now was not something that anyone would recognize. The creature before him was well over nine feet tall. It was pale and thin, and its face appeared almost human. It had no nose. In its place were two gaping nostrils, big enough to fit a finger, perhaps two. It had two more holes in place of its eyes, and peering into them would reveal tunnels running all the way back to its brain. Its ears were the same, absent, save two holes leading straight to its brain. It had no lips and the lines making up its mouth extended all the way to where its ears would have been. When it lowered its jaw, its teeth, the long, thin toothpicks prodding outward and seemed to extend down into the deepest confines of its throat, forming a sort of spiral, four separate helices stretching into the void the creature's arms must have been at least four feet long, two extending from its shoulders and two more from its ribcage, and it didn't look to be much more than a few bones glued to each other, but they certainly seemed to move just fine. Each of its four legs extended from its thin hips, the knees bent backwards like those of an ostrich. Instead of feet, it had segments of bone and skin extending outwards, like the feet of a praying mantis. 
each about a foot long. The creature crawled out from its spot behind the tree from which it was hiding and slinked from tree to tree, bending its body like a snake and circling its prey like a shark. Jerry kept his flashlight on the monstrosity for only a few seconds before its speed became impossible to keep up with. It was unreasonably quick for something of its size. The way it blinked from tree to tree made it appear as if it were teleporting. It got steadily closer to Jerry along the circular path it was making. Jerry could no longer hold himself in place. He broke his stance and sprinted towards somewhere he couldn't see in the infinite shroud of the forest. He thought about the possibilities of all the terrible things the monster might have had in store for him. Would it swallow him whole? Dig its fingernails and teeth into his body and skull? Tear his limbs from his torso one by one? He pushed these thoughts from his mind, trying to focus solely on the path ahead and what little of it he could see. Although the monster was no longer in his field of view, he could tell that it was not circling him anymore because he could now hear its footsteps behind him rapidly getting closer. It didn't sound like the trotting of a dog or a horse or any other four-legged creature he could think of. Instead, they were frantic, disorganized, and desperate, and had no pattern to them. Its soft, thin feet padded gently on the ground as it ran, occasionally rustling a few leaves, but not breaking a single twig. Jerry felt it drawing closer and closer, quickly closing the distance between the two of them, forcing a chill up his spine while the hairs along it stood on end. He kept running as fast as he could muster, pumping his arms, his old, worn lungs, trying their best to keep up in a hopeless mission to survive. But the footsteps moved closer still, until they sounded as if they couldn't be more than a few feet away from him. Then came to an abrupt halt, not like the creature had stopped in place, but more like it had quickly vanished from existence. Jerry wanted to stop in his tracks, look behind him and see just why the monster had stopped in its pursuit. But he couldn't bring himself to interrupt his pace. He was intent to get the hell out of this forest, never come back and never speak of it again. He could make up some lie as to what happened to Johnny. His son must have been kidnapped by a large white van, offering Halloween candy. Yeah, that would make sense. That little kid had always been an ambitious one, hadn't he? It would be much easier to convince everyone of this than to tell them the truth. An octopus ate him? Jerry, you're out of your mind. We live in the middle of the continent. The oceans are thousands of miles away in any direction. No, the truth would never sell. They would pin his son's disappearance on Jerry, then toss him in the nearest nuthouse. Jerry's nose collided with a protruding branch. He drew his head back in an instant reaction to the sudden pain. His feet went flying out in front of him, and he crashed to the ground beneath him, his tailbone landing on a stick running parallel to his legs and erupting in intense, throbbing pain. It felt as if someone was beating rhythmically on his tailbone with a sledgehammer as he lay there. A new collision with each pump of his heart. 
the blood rushing towards and out of his nose warmed it. A welcome feeling in the cold air, considering the pulsating pain it had cost. Jerry couldn't help but to release a scream, fully knowing his predator might hear, but did it even matter at this point? That thing, whatever it was, had already proven itself to be faster than him. Even if he was still able to move, let alone run, if the monster desired a human-sized snack, it would have it. So what difference did it make if Jerry let himself scream? in his current state. He'd rather the monster get it over with already and at least put an end to his pain. As if on cue, footsteps began to grow louder in front of him, this time sounding more like a chill saunter than a messy sprint, but not as soft, as if it wanted Jerry to hear it this time. Jerry got the feeling that this creature wasn't just hunting for food, rather playing with its food, the same way a cat might toy around with a mouse that it's already caught. It caught me the second it saw me. Everything up until now was a game, he thought. He opened his eyes and looked in front of him to see the creature was now standing over him, staring at him. Get over with, you skinny creep, Jerry muttered, his voice muffled under his hands, which were still clutching his nose, as if understanding his words. The creature bent down and lowered its face toward Jerry's until the two were but three inches apart. The creature opened its terrible, gaping mouth and once again revealed the infinite corridor within, allowing Jerry to peer inside for a few moments. This corridor stretched seemingly for miles, certainly longer than the creature's throat actually was, And inside, Jerry could see that the same lights from the octopus's skin were now dancing and bouncing along the hallway of the creature's esophagus. A beautiful sight under different circumstances. As Jerry stared into it, he almost began to feel himself floating up off the ground. But it wasn't the creature lifting him. In utmost terror, he realized that he was floating inside the corridor and inside the creature. He reached around, searching desperately, violently for something to grab, but there was no longer anything around. Not even the creature which had chased him. And he noticed... He was no longer even in the woods. He was surrounded by the lights of this hallway, floating through it with increasing speed. But how was this possible? The creature
creature wasn't nearly large enough to swallow him whole. He hadn't even felt it grab him or felt its teeth sink into him. He gazed down the tunnel to see where he might be headed. At the end, he could see a tiny spot of black, a small circle of darkness at the end of this tunnel of lights, growing larger as he flew towards it. And as he got closer, he felt colder. All at once, the lights disappeared, leaving him in darkness. The space around him seemed to instantly suck all the heat from his body and all the air from his lungs. All around him, he could see tiny specks of light, like grains of sand on a black painted floor. embraced him, welcoming him into his final seconds of life. His vision began to fade away, starting in his peripheral vision and quickly creeping inward. And before he had time to realize where the creature had taken him, his life had faded like a fallen leaf in an autumn wind. The octopus began to float toward him, wrapped its tentacles around his limbs. Then, just as it had done to his son, sank its teeth into his head and feasted on his brain savoring his memories like a fine wine. Thanks for listening. Thank you again to Ricky for the incredible story. I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed it as much as I did. I thought this was just... It was very different and you know well I can I was about to say spoilers but uh I mean he killed the kid halfway through the story who sees that coming anyway uh I hope you have a great night thank you all for being here uh go listen to three spooked girls it's a great podcast and we have been pod friends for a couple years now uh it's been great Uh, If you've noticed, I have been playing some trailers before my show the last few weeks, and I decided to open up a lot of spots for some cross-promos, so if you have a podcast, reach out to me. I love spreading the word about different podcasts. Of course, I will listen to your show first before I say yes, just in case, you know, don't want to get anything uh, questionable snuck in there, you know, Uh, you know how it goes. Anyway, go follow the show on um, Twitter instagram facebook uh join the discord channel all of those have been so much fun uh coming up soon on march 27th i will be part of the let's not meet season finale live stream on twitch i've gotten to do this live stream twice now this will be my third time um again speaking of pod friends andrew tate and i have been friends for a while now it's been great and he asked me back again this year 
so nice of him uh so yeah check that out i really want to do a live stream soon too i know i've said that a few times i haven't done it i just i'm kind of can't this is so dumb but i'm kind of camera shy when it comes to just me being on camera i did background acting for like a long time but that's literally being a blur a blur within a blur <laughs> so it's way different uh, let me know if you have any ideas of where you would rather see me do the live stream. I don't really know where most of my, I guess most of you congregate on Instagram, to be honest, but then I know a lot of people on Facebook don't have Instagram. I don't know. That's all stuff for me to figure out. I don't know why I'm involving you. You've got stuff to do. You've got places to go, people to see. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go. Oh, this week, if you wanted to know what I'm baking, I can't tonight because for one, it's late and for two, I'm out of eggs. Um, I'm going to be doing these like black cocoa brownies. I have uh, some black cocoa, some dark onyx, or it's called like black onyx cocoa. I got forever ago at this cute little spice shop that's in Solvang, California, and I forgot I had it. And I went into this, there's a Facebook group I'm a part of that's like just all cooking and it's great. And I asked in there if anyone had any recipes and someone said, Hey, here's these fact It's my friend, Chelsea. She said, Hey, I have these black cocoa uh, brownies that everybody says were really great. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to do those. And they look like coal. They literally look like coal. It's so awesome. They look like they're burnt, but they're not. <sighs> I'm going to go. I love you all. Go get, go drink some water. Uh, go get some sleep and sweet dreams.